The Lord be with you. Thanks. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here. It's a gift to be together today. Who here will be watching the Lions at 3 this afternoon? See, here's the thing. You just raised your hands in church. How about the Lions, man? So if this sermon goes the way I think it could, you'll be there by kickoff. <laughs> so I was in a conversation with a new friend of mine. Edgar is hanging around here somewhere, maybe. There he is right there. He's, uh, we, we were, I think it was Wednesday? Wednesday at LJ's. I think he said he's from the south side of Chicago. His younger sister, Melanie, is a junior at Hope, uh, hanging around the Pillar community just a little bit. Uh, he, he was describing his experience in the big city, and I think he said something like this. The noise is so loud, you don't even hear it anymore. He was describing his experience. I heard it as kind of a metaphor. It's so loud. So much talking. So much noise. Frantic and anxious and worried and fragmented. We're so busy. So much noise, you don't even hear it anymore. I texted a buddy. How's it going? General question, our relationship requires a little honesty. Uh, he said, my bandwidth for grace and patience is compressed. Anybody know what that's like? Buzzes and notifications and inboxes and calendars crowded and expectations to meet. My bandwidth for grace and patience is compressed. Anybody else feel compressed? And it doesn't have to do with an inbox and a calendar. It's really a state of the soul. It's really a condition of the heart. You can be bored and compressed. You can be all alone and there's so much noise. A friend of mine, Wynn, highlighted for me a, a line in a book I love. The book's titled Peace Like a River. The author's name is Leif Anger. The, the narrator in the book is narrating his own birth, and he's, he's, uh, he's, he's born, and, and he's supposed to scream and cry, you know, like infants do, uh, but it wasn't happening, and mom, mom, the doctor threw up his hands, and the mom is laying in bed crying, and the dad finally picks up the little boy, and the dad takes the little boy, and he says, Reuben, in the name of the living God, breathe. I hear that as an invitation. In the name of the living God, breathe. Amen. On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with them. A great windstorm arose, and the waves were beating into the boat, and the boat was already being swamped, but Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. The disciples woke him up and said, Teacher, 
Don't you care that we're perishing? He got up. He rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace. Be still. And the wind ceased, and the waves died down, and there was a dead calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? When they came to the other side, they came to the country of the Gerasians. Just as he got out of the boat, a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. He lived among the tombs. And no one could restrain him anymore. Even with chains, he would wrench apart the chains and break the shackles to pieces. And no one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night in the tombs and on the mountain, he was howling and bruising himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he bowed before him. And he says, what are you to do with me, son of the most high? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. And Jesus said to him, what's your name? And he said, I am legion, for we are many. He begged him not to send him to another country. Now there was a herd of swine feeding on the hill. And he said to him, let us go into the swine, send us into them. And Jesus gave them permission, so the unclean spirits came out. And they rushed into the swine, there were about 2,000. And they ran down the steep bank into the sea, and they were drowned in the sea. The swine herds went and told it in the city and in the country, and a crowd came to see what had happened. They came to Jesus, and they saw the demoniac man sitting clothed in his right mind. And those who had seen what had happened reported it, and they were afraid. And they begged Jesus to leave their neighborhood. And the man who had had the unclean spirit begged him to be with him, but Jesus refused and said, go to your home and tell your friends what the Lord has done for you, what great mercy he's shown you. And the man went throughout the region of the Decapolis proclaiming the good news, and all who heard it were amazed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through chapter 5, verse 20, if you want to find it in a Bible near you. So much noise. The waves are pounding, and the wind is howling, and the boat is drowning, and Jesus is sleeping. They wake him up. He gets up. I, I, I imagine, this, this is me being imaginative, it's like he sees the waves pounding on the boat and he's like, he like thinks of it like the golden retriever, the family golden retriever just grabs a little in the wa- of the water. 
at peace. Be still. Uh, reminds me of that uh, psalm I learned when I was a little guy. We used to sing it. Um, I'm not going to sing it now, but you might want to. Be still and know that I am God. So the wind is howling and the, the storm is raging and the disciples are screaming. Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? The waves are pressing in. We're compressed. And Jesus brushes off the, the sleepies, stretches just a little. says, peace. Be still. It reminds me a little bit of the Bible's very beginning, you know, the very beginning of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void and darkness. Cover the face of the deep while the wind from God swept over the waters and the darkness. And God said, let there be light and the darkness vanished. Peace. Be still. The disciples are terrified. Uh, you would be too. <laughs> when I go out swimming in Lake Michigan, like way deep, I get like five feet down and I'm, I start to get nervous. Like, what's down there? You know, the, the sea uh, for, for, for the uh, ancients was like the opening to, to, to the abyss. It was like the doorway to all that's evil. And the waves are pounding and the, and, the, and, the, and the wind is howling and they're terrified. You would be too. And Jesus stands up and calms it all. And Jesus says to them, asks them a, a strange question. Why are you afraid? That is a bad question. I mean, of course they're afraid. You would be too. If all there is is what surrounds you, of course you'd be afraid. global disruption all over and political turmoil and war and, and rumors of nuclear war and racism and sexism and all the other things we find reasons to argue about. There's so much noise. The storm, the winds, they, they rage and they pound and Jesus stands up in the middle of the storm and says, peace, be still. They ask, he asks them, why are you afraid? If all there is is what surrounds you, of course you're afraid. But Christ stands up in the middle of the storm to say, what surrounds you is not all there is. There is a power greater than the wind, one stronger than the storm, one who made the wind and announced the sea into existence. That one stands up in the middle of the storm and says, peace. Be still. You can make a lot out of this Mark 4, 35 through 40 story. 41. This at least you have to make of it. Jesus Christ is God. The disciples ask the right question. Who then is this? Sort of funny. Jesus questions a little uh, tone deaf. <laughs> you know what I mean? Of course they're afraid. Their question is pinpoint accurate. Who is this? It's God in the middle of the storm. I was meeting with a freshman at Hope this past Monday. He's a baseball player, a pitcher. Uh, he's, he, he grew up outside of the faith. It wasn't even like a consideration. It just wasn't a plausibility structure. You know what I mean? And he's being recruited to come to Hope, and the 
coach tells them, hey, we're going to compete hard at baseball, but hopes like a bit, about quite a bit more than, than baseball. We're going to form you. We, 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 it's about faith. So the freshman comes to Hope, curious, and he thinks he's going to play pitch and catch. But he gets caught up by the Spirit of God and introduced to the person of Jesus, and he becomes a Christian. Isn't that amazing? And so he and I do a Bible study every third week. And because I'm kind of efficient, I try to be efficient with my time, guess what we're studying together? The Gospel of Mark. And guess what passage we read this past week? Just take a wild, take a wild stab at it. So imagine reading this story. for the f- You've never opened a Bible, and, you're in, and you now start reading this story. And I was like, you know, any observations? And he said, so, like, help me. If he can calm the storm, why didn't he prevent the storm? And I looked at my watch and <laughs> realized it was time to go. I, sort of, no, I, I just sort of sat there quietly thinking about it. It was a really good question. And he, he replied to his own question. He said, is it so that we'd know he's God? Yeah. I think that's, I think that's why. He stands up in the middle of the storm and he says, peace, be still and know. Kids are running around, scurrying about, and your, your heart slips into the hydrochloric acid of your stomach. Peace, be still and know that I'm God. You get, you, like I do, you get sort of like all distracted and concerned and, and your jaw drops when you look at the global scenario and all the pain and the ache and you're just, he stands up in the middle of the storm and he says, peace, be still and know that I'm God. If all there is are the circumstances that surround you, of course you're afraid. But what if there's one stronger than the wind? What if there's one greater than the storm? What if the one who spoke the wind into existence and made the sea stands with you in the storm announcing peace. Be still and know that I'm God. Um, they get to the other side. By the way, this sermon is divided between two questions if you're like taking notes. The first one, who then is this? Jesus is God. The second one, what's your name? So they get to the other side, which I just, I mean, I think we should take note of the fact that Jesus chooses to go to the other side. Like he left the homeland, so to speak, and cruised across to the, to the Decapolis. That's where the bad people live. That's where the pagans are. That's where the irreligious people go. Don't let your kids go to the Decapolis on Friday night. He chooses to go to the other side. It reminds me of that parable he would tell later in one of the other Gospels, you know, the one about the he leaves the 99 behind and pursues the one. He leaves not probably the comfort of his homeland. The Pharisees and the scribes were accusing and the, and the crowds were pressing, but at least the familiarity of his homeland. And he chooses to go to the other side, which I think we ought to notice. God's heart from the beginning is that the world would know that people from every language and tribe and nation and disposition and orientation and all the stuff that makes our stuff our stuff would be subordinated to the living God in Jesus Christ. He chooses to go to the other side. And he gets there, and before he hardly, I mean, he hasn't even like really hit 
shore yet, and there's already a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit who meets him. Now, I realize we don't, I don't, I'll just speak for myself, really know what to do with all of these encounters and all of the Gospels with unclean spirits. Devils and demons. I mean, I referred to C.S. Lewis last week. I'll refer to him again. However, However it works out, you know, I think we can agree evil exists. Evil is real. Evil is there. And maybe it doesn't always manifest itself in, in like a Mark 5 demoniac scene, but, but, it, but it manifests itself. You know, the Bible says our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and the powers of this present darkness. Evil somehow conjoins itself with our brokenness and sin and, and seeks to destroy our lives. This is how the... Uh, the man with the unclean spirit is described. He lived among the tombs, and no one could restrain him anymore, even with chains. For he would, he would wrench the chains apart and break the shackles in pieces. And no one was strong enough to, to subdue him. Day and night, he, in the tombs, and among the tombs and on the mountain, he'd howl, bruising himself with stones. So much noise. Then Jesus shows up, and you remember what he asked? What's your name? Isn't that interesting? I mean, I might think of a few other things to say. What's your name? Who are you? Remember who you are? I want to free you. I'm going to free you. What's your name? There's kind of a cool thing going on in Mark 4 and 5. Mark 4, if you want to see it like this, if you squint, you can see it like this. Mark 4 is like the macro story. The big, huge story of good versus evil. You know, God and the person of Jesus Christ who made the wind and the sea, now commanding the wind and the sea to quiet down. And there was a dead calm. And then Mark 5, this big macro reality of, of good and evil gets, starts to get played out in the micro realities of this man's life, the personal realities of his day-to-day life. So the, the Romans had uh, devastated and decimated the Decapolis. The Decapolis, it's, it's a way of referring to the ten towns on the other side of the sea. That's where the irreligious people go, the, the pagans go. The Romans had absolutely ravaged the Decapolis. Uh, Jesus asks the man, what's your name? And the, the unclean spirit doesn't even give the man a chance to speak. He speaks over him, he speaks for him, and he says, I am legion, for we are many. The word legion means many. It also refers to a Roman sect of soldiers who had been doing the ravaging of the Decapolis. It's as if the man has, con- has been consumed by the circumstances around him. You see what I'm saying? It's as if the man had been usurped by what was swirling. It's, it's as if the man had been swallowed up by the cultural climate. You see what I'm doing? The good news for us, we would never do that. That would never happen to us. We would never be consumed by the cultural moment. We would never be usurped by the circumstances that surround us. The politics of anger 
and arguing seep down into our local realities so that we find ourselves arguing and angry too. The vision of, of beauty has, has usurped us. So all we can see as beautiful is what they tell us is beautiful. And Jesus shows up. And Jesus says, what's your name? Not like, how do you identify yourself? Not like, like, like the identity marker. Like, what's your name? Who are you? Remember who you are? The waves and the wind of the macro story of Mark 4 played out in the micro realities of this man's life. And Jesus shows up and says, what's your name? And I just think the world could use a few more people who are willing to ask, what's your name? Rather than be usurped and consumed and swallowed up by the cultural ethos of our moment, what if just a few of us had patience and kindness to say, hey, what's your name? I I realize the sign in your yard drives me absolutely insane, and I cannot believe you would think like that. But hey, hey, what's your name? What's your name? Not, again, like how do you refer to yourself, but like, Who are you? Tell me your story. You know, we've got this line at Pillar, maybe you've heard us say, a place where your name is known, your story is heard, your questions are honored. We did not make that up. I was reading an article this past week. It wasn't a very good one, but I'm going to tell you about it anyway. Uh, (laughs) It was the story of of a mother who had two twins. Her brother was engaged, and his fiancée refused to refer to the twins by name. She would call them the twins, or one of the twins. So the mom of the twins finally said to the brother's fiancée, you are not welcome in our home until you speak their names. Okay, there's probably some dysfunction there, but you, you, you get what's going on. There, there's, there's, who are you? I'm not one of the twins. I'm not the twin. My name's John. I have a story. I carry ache and pain and hope and joy. Do you want to spend time with me? Do you want to get to know, or do you just want to categorize me and label me and leave me out there so you can argue? I'm not talking about me, you know. Could there be a few people who have the time and capacity to ask, what's your name? We're followers of Jesus who asked the man ripped up by the storm, what's your name? He wants to know you. He wants to be with you. He wants to free you. What's your name? A bunch of years ago, I was preaching a sermon in a different place. And for the record, it's always easy to tell stories about people from a different place. <laughs> I was preaching. It was a great sermon. I'm just going to say it was a great sermon. Uh, I was trying to help the congregation visualize the Barna statistics uh, about religion in America. So I had the whole church stand, which I won't do to you now. And then I had like 10% sit down. So there's 90% standing, and I said, okay, 90% of Americans say they believe in God. I'm, I'm making up the numbers right now, but I, just to get the idea. So 90% are now standing. I had another 20% sit down, so that 70% are standing. I said, okay, 70% of Americans say they believe in 
the, the God of the Christian faith. And then I had another 30% sit down, so 40% were standing, uh, because 40% of Americans say they read their Bibles. And then I had another 20% sit down, so that 20% are standing, because 20% of Americans say they read their Bibles regularly. And then I had another 10% sit down for one reason or another, and I had another 9% sit down, and so there was one person standing. Her name was Renee. Now, she was a young woman, 23, 24 years old. Uh, she was in our town because of the Navy. She wasn't a part of the Navy, but she was a part of the infrastructure that supported the Navy. Her mom and dad were divorced. Her mom knew a bunch of challenges, and, and she sort of internalized all of that ache. She sort of internalized it as if it was about her. And so she carried sadness and uh, self-loathing and um, shame and and occasionally she would come to church. Um, I don't know if you know this, but it can be really hard to come to church. I mean, a few of us probably like it a lot, but for a bunch of us, it's like hard. Like people are going to look at me, they're going to judge my outfit, where, who am I going to sit by, you know. But on this day, she, was, she had the courage to push through all of the reasons not to come, and she showed up, and I'm doing this whole thing about blah, 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 and she's the last one standing. And I said something like, way to go, Renee. And the service ended, the great sermon. I get out into the narthex, and she comes up to me with tears in her eyes. And I'm like, oh, no. What? Oh, no. I embarrassed her. And she said to me through her tears, thank you. You remembered my name. What's your name? Again, not how do you identify yourself, but like, what's your name? Who are you? Remember who you are? When the winds pound and the, and the waves beat and the storm rages, Jesus shows up. The one who made the wind and the sea shows up. He wants to know you. He wants to be with you, to speak to you. Peace, be still, and know that I'm God. Amen? Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.